0: Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Let's stand. We'll pray. Lord, we thank you so much for family and uh, friends. Thank you for our fellowship here, Lord, at Calvary Chapel of Appleton. And Lord, we just look to you and thank you. Lord, we, we meet tonight with mixed emotions and feelings because of our sister Betty being taken home to heaven this week. Pray for Boston even now. Lord, we dedicate this Christmas Eve, 2014, to this laborer, this servant who truly ran the race, Lord, and finished well. Pray for her husband tonight. But Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel that when the fullness of time came, you sent your son into this world to die for a sinful man, to save us. And so we have this wonderful hope of being reunited with loved ones, being able to be reunited with uh, Betty again. Lord, we just thank you for the hope. We have no idea what people do when they lose a loved one that's not saved. So as we gather together here this evening, Calvary Chapel of Appleton, 2014, Lord, be the center of it all. And draw, Lord, if anybody doesn't know you here tonight, Lord, might you be glorified here tonight. Might people sense your presence and uh, acknowledge, Lord, that you still are alive and well. And not only are we going to study about your first coming, Lord, but more importantly, the timing and looking forward to your second coming. So, Lord, bless these people tonight As we gather in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 2. Boy, what a week it's been. The Lord did take Betty Bastia home, 4 o'clock in the morning this last Saturday. Got a phone call right after that, and uh, we've been in contact with Bastia. I leave Friday to fly down to Haiti to be involved with the service there. Other Calvary Chapel pastors from around the country, literally around the world, we got some brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel in Australia that took up a love offering, and they're sending that down just to show their love and support. Lane took me on their Facebook page. They had over 3,550 hits since Saturday. I mean, it spread across the planet that quick. Our hearts go out to Betty had a couple sisters and a couple brothers. And we're working out some of the details right now. The funeral will be in Haiti. Betty will be buried in Haiti. That was her wishes, but we're also going to have a service here sometime in the middle of January, and we're still trying to work out what's best for the families. But with all that being said, I want to dedicate Christmas Eve 2014 to a gal that I've known since 1975, our first girl to go to Bible school, our first girl to head up our women's ministry, and uh, she has a legacy. But um, I don't know what people do at times like this, people that you're that tight with. All of a sudden, they're not there. What does the world do? Well, we have a hope, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight. This is going to be one of those looking back and looking ahead type um, Christmas Eve messages. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8, 14. I did pray in our prayer about the book of Ephesians when the fullness of time had come. It was a set time, a very specific time, that God would send forth his son who would be born of a woman, born under the law. And men's prayer meeting, we're just starting the book of Isaiah. And we just happened to be in Isaiah 7 on last Saturday morning. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In chapter 9, this particular chapter was a prophecy to an evil king named Mahaz. They didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And so the prophet tells him straight out. says, you don't believe that God's going to protect you from the Assyrians? Well, let me tell you that he's going to. Go ahead, pick something. Pick a sign I'll... I'll give you anything you want. What do you want to see happen? And he says, I don't want to test the Lord or tempt the Lord. In actuality, he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. He says, okay, you don't want to sign? I'll give you one anyway. So the a virgin is going to conceive and behold. And he's going to be born. They're going to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So even when people don't want to hear, like Ahaz, God has a way of getting his message across to his people. And it was a set time. God has a perfect order. And in Ephesians again, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, purpose to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now tonight I'm actually going to go back to the book of Leviticus and talk a little bit about some of the customs that Mary and Joseph went through when Jesus was born, when they took him to the temple. But let's dive in. Uh, Verse 8, chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I do bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find that the babe is wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And then suddenly, and this is what I want to emphasize here. There's one angel speaking, but then suddenly there was with them a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. They were there all the time. And uh, here is the biggest announcement that's ever going to hit planet Earth. That when the fullness of time came, now it's here. We have one angel (laughs) scaring the daylight out of what I would like to call ordinary working men working night shift. That's who they were. They were ordinary Joes, and they were simply working the night shift. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him, scares the snot right out of him. They don't know. He doesn't know what to do. He's just terrified. But this is a, the biggest moment in history because the fullness of time had come. I think they just couldn't hold back. I believe the whole angelic realm had no choice but to just let it loose, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. We talked about this a couple Sundays ago when we talked about angels, the number of them. Revelation 5 tells us ten thousands times ten thousands times thousands of thousands. Daniel 10 tells us the same thing. Thousands times thousands times ten thousands of thousands. And they all let loose. They gave this chorus at this time, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And I have to stop there because this is one of the most ludicrous statements that possibly could have ever been made unless you understand what's really being said here. The translation is poor. Our authorized version gives a wrong impression here. The angels did not say on earth peace, goodwill towards men. What they did say is peace of men of goodwill or peace among men with whom he is pleased. And that changes everything. Because otherwise, what they were saying never happened because there is not peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? I mean, what could be farther from the truth? I could spend the rest of my evening talking about ISIS, Afghanistan, Ferguson, two cops that were just shot in New York, Syria, civil unrest like I haven't seen. I've been around since the 60s. I haven't seen anything like it since then. Looting, lawlessness, not peace. There's not peace in this world today. And Dylan was right. He says, when will I ever learn? There's not going to be any peace in this world until he returns, the Prince of Peace. So here he's coming the first time, and there will be peace among those people who have made their peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. There's, the, there's a peace with God, and then there's a the peace of God. And the peace that's being talked about here is those men who have made their peace with God. How do you make your peace with God? There's only one way. You have to come through the only way he's provided. Emmanuel, God with us. The only door, the only way that you can get from point A to point B, from, from this earth to heaven, it is by ex- making your peace with God through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Now, somebody want to give me an amen on that. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But on the other hand, when that happens... Then you can live in a world that has ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood, and chaos in a city and looting and lawlessness that are bounding. Even in the midst of that storm, you can have peace and you can have tranquility. But that's, the Bible says, is a peace that passes human understanding. We should be freaking out. We should be losing it. But just the opposite, we just have an awareness, even with the loss of somebody we care about very, very much and miss her greatly. But we're the only ones that are suffering. (laughs) One look at what she's looking at right now. Believe me, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. And the former things will be remembered no more. So what's being said here? Well, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, but more correctly. And the big question here this Christmas Eve, I don't know how many more we're going to have, but have you made your peace with the Prince of Peace? Do you know him in a personal way? We're going to look at a couple of different people. The first group here, (laughs) the angels that appeared to these shepherd guys, the average Joe, what I like to call them. And um, let's pick it up in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the, the thing that has come to pass which the Lord made known to us. And they came in haste and and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they were widely known uh, by saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen And it was told them. So here is where the message begins to spread. And the Lord always seems to choose the most unlikely of characters to do his work. And in this case, it's the average Joe working the night shift that appeared to him. And he says, that's where he is. Go check it out. And they did. And when they saw it for themselves, then they went and told others. And now we have the beginning. 2,000 years ago, this this takes place. It's 2014, gang, for one reason. It's been two thousand fourteen hundred years since Jesus Christ was born. Yes, I know it might have been 4 B.C. or 2 B.C. or whatever. Let's just say 2,000 years ago. We mark everything from the time that this creator took on human flesh. That's what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us and walked among us. And the the incarnation is just one of the most incredible miracles that could ever possibly be. That the creator of the universe humbled himself. He wasn't stripped of his deity. He was stripped of his glory. And he was seen as just this little baby in a manger. Hadn't been Bethlehem for 20 years plus. But David Hawking took us there this year because he likes to go to this one particular store. And so we actually went to... Uh, traditional place where they say Jesus was born. And it's not, but it looked pretty much like it could have been. <laughs> and uh, being in Bethlehem, of course, it's even making the news tonight. And so we find here in the first 20 verses of the Luke 2, the Christmas story, and how it was first told to these simple men. There's a period of eight days that I want to read the next couple of verses, and then I want to show you a little bit them being very Jewish, keeping the customs and the traditions of their Judaism. When eight days were accomplished, verse 21, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the moon. It implies there he wasn't given the name until after the eight days were were there. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, for as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and an offering according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. well that 's not exactly what the law says; this is what the law would say to Joseph and Mary. Now, if you have your Bibles, i 'm going to have you turn back with me all the way to the book of Leviticus chapter twelve. And we're going to go quickly through what the law. Why are they doing this? Why did they wait eight days to call him Jesus? They were to go to the temple and offer turtledoves as an offering to the Lord. When God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, it wasn't just ten commandments. He gave them 613 laws to live by in life. And it covers every aspect in detail of life. So when we read in chapter 12, this is a law concerning childbirth. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I want you to speak to the children of Israel. And says, If a woman conceives and has born a male child, then he shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity shall be unclean. But on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin, that will be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days, she shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the day of her purifications are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she'll be unclean two weeks in her customary impurity, and she will continue in the blood of her impurity for 66 days. Now, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest, notice, a lamb of the first year, as a burnt offering and a young pigeon and or a turtledove dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. Now, if she is not able to bring a lamb, that she may bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Eight days of her purification. After eight days, we read in Luke 2 that Joseph and Mary, the days of her purification, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So we have eight days taking place here, but this, this is what's interesting to me. It wasn't until this evening that I realized that Joseph and Mary brought the turtle doves and the two young pigeons, and they didn't bring a lamb. Or did they? Or did they? You know, I never thought of it till tonight. They were poor, so they brought what poor people would bring. They couldn't afford the lamb, but they had the lamb. This was the Lamb of God that would be the ultimate sacrifice, who would take away the sins of the world. Now, it changes gears here, and it lets us know other things besides shepherds who were totally caught off guard to what was coming down. These were the average Joes working the night shift. But there were other people who were much more in tune, much more well aware of what was really happening during this period of time. We're introduced to a man named Simeon. In verse 25, change of subject. And all of a sudden, here's a guy who's just been always there. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just, and he was devout, and he was waiting. Interesting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. All of a sudden, this day is a little bit different. Instead of being totally unaware, like the shepherds, this guy's always got his antennas up. He's always waiting, he's listening, he's in tune. Why? He's probably older. But God had spoke to him. said, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the one that's called the Messiah. And uh, that's what he lived for. That's what he waited for. And all of a sudden the day came and says, I want you to go to the temple today. So when he came by the Holy Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, now we know what the custom of the law is, isn't it? After eight days circumcision, bring an offering, sin offering, a peace offering. He took him up in his arms and blessed God And just imagine your whole life waiting for something. And all of a sudden, the fulfillment of it is right in your arms. Here's a man, unlike the shepherds, he knew. He was watching. He was waiting. And all of a sudden, it really happened. He really did come. And here he was. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Salvation was for the Jews, not the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. Now, Joseph and Mary didn't know what to make of all this. They marveled at those things which were spoken by him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child here is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. Jesus said that either you're for me or against me, either you gather, you scatter. People will believe on me or they won't believe. The gospel is preached. told the guys, he says, look, if you go into a town, tell them who I am, tell them why I came. If they hear it and they believe, then let them be baptized and so on and so forth. But if they don't believe, there's your free will, then just shake that dust off your jacket and you just keep right on walking and talking and go to somebody else that might be more open and listen. And that's what he's telling him here. The rise and fall of many is simply the rising of those that believe on Jesus and the eventual fall. He talked about it in Luke chapter 20. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Anybody who falls on the stone will be broken. That's what Dory was talking about. Eventually, getting to the place where the Lord had to break her. Falling means, you know, just being broken. And then the rising and the falling. And uh, if you don't allow the Spirit of God to break in your heart, well, that stone's going to come day, back someday, and you'll be in judgment. He's the only one qualified to judge. That's what we have in view here. Then he speaks to Mary in verse 35, a prophecy. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is looking ahead 33 years later when Jesus would be on a cross and he'd look down at Mary and he'd say, Mary, look at your son. John was standing next to her. And he says, John, look at your mother. And uh, as she wept there, it wasn't really the weeping for the salvation that was taking place, but it was just the mother's heart. This was, this was her son. And um, she realized all too well. She kept all these things in her heart. And now here is Simeon prophesying, saying that your heart is going to be broken and pierced through, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. Well, here's my point about Simeon. Simeon was a guy who was watching. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. How did he know? Answer, God told him. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? I mean, the Spirit of the Lord said, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. That's the first coming. The first coming of Jesus Christ was foretold. You know what's interesting about the story with the angel appearing to Mary? The angel's name was Gabriel. The same angel Gabriel who appeared to Mary is the same angel Gabriel that appeared to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. He wanted to know about the coming of the Messiah. And so Gabriel actually tells Daniel this. He says, Daniel, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, they're in captivity at this time, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes. There will be a period of time of 483 years, even in troublesome times. But after this period of time, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be cut off for himself. Daniel knew the generation that was given to him at this period of time, hundreds of years, same angel, bringing the same message about the Messiah that would come. What's your point, Dwight? Well, we, like Simeon, can know that the Lord's timing and his coming is also near. Well, how do we know that? The Bible is really, really clear, gang, for anybody who is willing to study their Bible. And and, uh, like Daniel did. Daniel says in Daniel 9, verse 1, I understood because I was reading the prophets, Jeremiah, that 70 years are determined upon your people. And then he explained that the Messiah is going to come in a certain generation. All right, this is where it gets interesting. We are told because of God's word that Jesus Christ is coming again. What's Christmas Eve all about? That's great. We get to remember the time that he came 2,000 years ago. It's exciting. Something far more exciting is right around the corner. And that is he's coming again. And he's coming again real soon. That's a pretty bold statement, Dwight. You got anything that back that up? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this evening. I've (laughs) let me get sidetracked here. When Jesus was taken into heaven, a couple angels We're watching the guys, the Galileans. He says, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing, looking up into heaven? The same Jesus that that you see being taken up here, he's going to come again in like manner. The same one? The same one. Well, how do we know when that's going to be? Well, that's the question the disciples wanted to know in Matthew 24. And they said, Lord, when are you going to come? And what will be the sign, not signs, what will be the sign? of the generation that will see your coming. And so he told them many different things that will happen during the tribulation, false cries, false prophets, lawlessness, earthquakes, famines, a lot of stuff that we see now. But not the sign. There is a singular sign that we are to look for. And he said, now learn the parable of the fig tree. It's about Israel, a nation that was destroyed in 70 AD, dispersed, we call them the wandering Jews, the dysphoria. And they've been scattered around the world and only recently brought back as a nation. Became a nation legally in one day, May 14th, 1948. And that's been 66 plus years ago. But Jesus told the disciples the sign would be when its branches become tender and put forth leaves. The idiom for a fig tree has always been. Israel, without exception. Then you'll know that it's near. So, also, when you see these things, know that it is near even at the door. No man knows the day or the hour. I'm not setting dates. But just like Simeon said, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see it. I can stand before the generation that's watched the rebirth of the nation of Israel and say, You're not going to die until you see it. Some will, some won't. But the general idea is the sign. You want a miracle? modern-day miracle, Israel, surrounded on all sides by its enemies. All they want to do is drive them to sea and kill them, and they can't. They're one of the most prosperous, brilliant nations in the world today, and there's no power that's going to drive them out of their place. This generation will by no means pass away till all things be fulfilled. Well, Dwight, that's one. There's got to be more than one. I'm glad you asked that question, too. There happens to be another one. Psalm 102, if you want to turn to it. If not, I'll just quote it to you. David Dolan, when he was here several years ago, he's a journalist from Israel, gave an in-depth study in Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, it's a prophecy that deals primarily with the building up of the nation of Israel. In verse 16, it says, When the Lord will build up Zion again, he shall appear in his glory. Now, just so there's no confusion here, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 11:11 11, 11 says that the Lord will restore Israel a second time. Now, the first time was the Babylonian captivity. They were driven out in 70 AD, but they came back again the second time in 1948. This is significant. So when he builds it up a second time, when Israel came back, it was swamp and mosquitoes and bushes. Nobody wanted it. But Israel made it the third largest producer of fruit in the world today. Their technology is off the charts. He's building up Zion. It says, then he will appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute, not despise the prayer. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Now, when I started my study, I had to correct what the angel said. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It changes the meaning. And so here, in the correct Hebrew, it needs to be corrected again. And you can challenge me on this one. All you need is a strong concordance. What it says in verse 18, it says, This will be written for the last generation. The Hebrew word there in the Strongs is H314. It's pronounced "hakaron," And it, the word literally means last. So what is being prophesied here? This will be written for the last generation. I'm not talking about the end of the world. I'm talking about the generation that will see the rapture of the church. I'm talking about the generation that's going to see the world go into the time of Jacob's trouble. They're gathered there for a reason. That prophecy back in Daniel 9, God owes Israel seven years. And that's unfolding. And as soon as the church is gone, that clock is going to begin to tick again. And we have the time of Jacob's trouble being fulfilled. We're a lot like Simeon. In what ways? Turn with me, we'll begin to wind up this up, to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. If you're Italian, it's Malachi. If you're not, it's Malachi. What you want to be sensitive, if you're a serious student of Bible study, is that when we go through the Psalms, we try to connect as much as we can, the old and the new because all of the book is about Jesus. And chapter 3 of Malachi, the first verse is about John the Baptist. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? because what we refer to here now is is not really the first coming of Christ. We have a gap in time, and this isn't unusual in the Old Testament. What's being said here in in Malachi is that the Lord is going to come again. The first part of this is about John the Baptist. But it's interesting that when the Lord comes again the second time, he comes before that great and terrible day of the Lord. When will that be? Well, like Simeon, as we know, the Lord will come during that period of time for his church to the generation that sees the regathering of the nation of Israel. Some of you are thinking, come on, Dwight, that's pretty far out there. I don't know, not too much farther than angels appearing out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, tens of thousands and thousands and thousands appearing out of nowhere giving marches and instructions, telling him where to go. I mean, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, if you can believe that, you got a problem with anything else? I mean, just think about it. You know, is there any problem that if God could tell Simeon, you're not going to die Simeon until you see it, to his disciples who had an honest question, Lord, what's it going to be? What's the sign? And he tells them, says, this Israel. It's the generation that sees that is going to see the fulfillment of all of it. And again, I'm not talking about the end of the world. I'm talking being like Simeon, that as we get caught up with all the busyness of everyday life, here was a guy who had his priorities straight. His antennas were tuned up. He was watching. He was waiting. For what? (laughs) The Lord told him straight out, you're not going to die until you see the Deliverer the one that's been promised for thousands and thousands of years. Come on, Dwight, it's Christmas Eve. What are we supposed to do with all this? We're going home for family and friends after this. All right, let's close it up by looking at exactly what we should be doing. There's one more person that I'll leave you with, and you've got to go back to Luke 2. Her name is Anna. So we have shepherds caught by surprise by angels. We have Simeon, who was really in tune. God had spoken to him, so he's watching. And then we're introduced to this 84-year little old lady. Verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess. So she had the gift of prophecy. The daughter of Panil, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years old. And she did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. Gang, Christmas Eve 2014, the hour's late. We can be talking about a lot of things. We can be investing in a lot of things. But what Anna was doing here is where she hung out, what she gave her life to was being in the sanctuary. That's what we're told. Didn't depart from the temple. She just served the Lord every day. So I want to encourage some of you that might be over 50 <laughs> or just older in particular and think you're, you're no good and not useful anymore. The Most, most powerful prayer warriors. Are those dear little old ladies, look out for those praying grandmothers. My grandmother got me. She understood that the gift of prophecy was hers. And what did she do? She spoke to everybody. About what? About some of the stuff that I told you about tonight. I hope I've challenged you to at least take a second look. And say, is that guy right on? Is he even close to the stuff that he's talking about? Because the implications, think about it, if it's true. If it's true. I'll go back to one of my very first Christmases. And I'm thinking about all this stuff. And I'm thinking, huh, this is going to take a commitment. I can see it. Don't want to do it. I'm going to do it. But here's the deal. No public speaking. That's out. None of that. That was my deal with the Lord. So I'll, I need to get saved, so I'll do all that. But none of this talking in front of people stuff. Well, guess what? When the Lord saves you, you can't help but tell somebody. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? This is what Anna did. She was in church all the time, sanctuary, every day. What was she doing? Praying, serving God, fasting in prayer day and night. And she would tell everybody and anybody. It's the old song, go go tell it from the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Just shout it out. Everybody, somebody fools, somebody said. Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ. And you're going to be called that. Can you handle it? You're going to be. They're going to call you fanatical, fundamental, right-wing, whatever. Can you handle it? Jesus said, if they did it to him, they'll do it to you. We read, and and, uh, I'll just leave with a quote from J. Vernon McGee. Going back to Simeon, God had promised Simeon that he would see the salvation of God. What did he see? So a little baby. Salvation is a person. Not something that you do. Salvation is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You either have him or you don't have him. You either trust him or you don't trust him. And the final question is, do you have him this Christmas Eve, 2014? There are no, no guarantees. I said I dedicated this Bible study to Betty tonight. I have. And I look forward to seeing her again. But you know what? There's no guarantees you're going to be here next 2015 for Christmas Eve. Anything could happen. Give me an amen on that, and I'll let it go for tonight. Amen. May God bless his word. May God bless your Christmas Eve as you gather with family and friends. And may God's word challenge you as it's challenged me.